This is Corkscrew Convos, another theme park podcast. My name is DJ. And my name is Chris. And we're here to talk about theme parks, roller coasters, barbecue, the epic conclusion to my Western expedition slash vacation slash baby moon slash Jules Verne and everything else under the sun in its time. But first, let's get this disclaimer out of the way. The views, opinions, and information expressed during the following presentation are solely those of the individuals involved and do not represent organizations affiliated with those individuals. DJ, I have a life lesson or a pearl of wisdom. I don't really know what to call it, but I'd like to share it with you, and I would like to share it with the listeners. And that is... Please do. Life comes at you fast sometimes, DJ. Mm. Life can really just come up out of nowhere and demand to be reckoned with. And and that's something that I am working through right now. Uh, So I am... uh, I'll admit I'm not 100% right now, but the show must go on. Corkscrew Convos must go on. Our listeners demand a weekly episode. And so I have drunken some water. I have uh, done what I need to do. And now I'm here and I'm thrilled that I get a chance to uh, learn about the finishing conclusion of your trip to the West. And uh, I will give a quick disclaimer out to the listeners. No, I did not catch the 19. This is something else. Uh, This is not anything uh, illness-based. This is, well, it's complicated. But DJ... Let's get back to what we're really going to be talking about this episode, and that is where you went just uh, just recently. So let's dive into that uh, right now. Yes, Chris, I journeyed towards the end of our vacation slash baby moon slash Western expedition, really to the beginnings of the Oregon Trail, uh, really to the city of fountains, the city of jazz music, the city of barbecue, Kansas City, Missouri, uh, a place that I'm very familiar with originally from that area, um, a place that has many things to do, including those who are on a vacation or are on a baby moon or might be on a Western expedition. You can't go West without stopping in Kansas City. Uh, Again, we do want to welcome you to Corkscrew Convos. We're happy to have you here. We're happy you're stopping by. This is the conclusion to our last episode uh, where I was able to venture out to Glenwood Springs, Colorado to experience the Glenwood Caverns Adventure Park, Carbondale, Colorado, uh, Glenwood Springs, as I've talked about, and really the whole area over there. It's just western side of of Colorado, past Denver, past most of the... um, kind of the ski lodges in that area before you get to Utah, a very unique area. Be sure to go back and listen to that, uh, rate it, let us know what you think. Uh, and before we do jump in, uh, just sending good vibes over to you, Chris. Uh, we know that uh, things can happen, life comes at you fast, but assuring our dear listeners out there um, that you are in a good sp- you're in a good place and just kind of a rest and relaxation mode for you right now. Uh, keep oh, listening, yeah. we're still gonna have it coming over. And Chris, thanking you for being here because without you, I have no audience. I have the audience Uh retroactively, but I have to talk to you. I have to have someone to talk to. So maybe we can get a Squishmallow version of you to replace you for the time being. Yeah, that'd be really something if they could uh, make custom versions of that. That would really be something. But thank you for the well wishes. Uh, Thank you for plugging the past episode before I forget it. I mean, that episode, DJ's Western Expedition, uh, that is probably... 
one of my favorite episodes that we have done so far. I'd probably put it in our top three. So that is a really good episode. It's mm. a really nice way to learn about Colorado and all the places that you went. So, dear listener, if you haven't already listened, as soon as you're done with this episode, go ahead and listen to DJ's Western Expedition. I know that you won't regret it. Absolutely. And you know, this is that was really um, outside of your Orlando trip, Chris. Uh, this was our first kind of trip report that we've been able to do with the way that 2020 was being a year like no other. 2021 also shaping up and really is another year like no other. And so uh, we've got your take on a place you went. We've got my take and we're finishing that up today on a place that I went. And so we hope to be doing more of these trips as things begin to open up. It's safer to travel. We're excited to really tell you about what we've done and, and what we've been doing. But, you know, let's jump into Kansas City. Uh, it is the city of fountains. That's probably the lesser known fact of the city. I think Kansas City, more than anything, uh, is known for its barbecue. Um, you think of the places that have their own barbecue. You think of Texas being one. Um, you think of Memphis barbecue. Uh, really, Kansas City is up there. Uh, if you look into the history, actually, um, I believe barbecue is pinpointed to have really originated with having uh, a, a barbecue restaurant establishment and really perfecting that sort of food. It existed for many, many years before that, but Memphis was really where it all started. Uh, and at Memphis, at a particular establishment, a gentleman who was working there took what he learned from really a pit master, smoke master at Memphis, and opened his own restaurant in Kansas City, and many would consider that really the birth of Kansas City barbecue. So some similarities to Memphis, but it's different. It's different than uh, Texas barbecue. I believe the Carolinas have their own barbecue, uh, and then like St. Louis says they have their own barbecue, but St. Louis yeah. says they have their own everything. No shade on St. Louis, but they've got like St. Louis. Louis has their own way that they slice a bagel, and I do not understand. <laughs> do you know what I'm talking about, yeah. DJ? Well, I, I, I know for the dear listeners at home, I mean, Panera Bread, which you might be familiar with, originated as St. Louis Bread Company. There's some history well, there. I don't know about bagel slicing, though. Yeah, this was all over the internet a couple of years ago that St. Louisans, or whatever they call themselves, they don't cut their bagels right. They don't cut it in half so that you could put the schmear on it. They cut it into sort of like bagel chips, uh, like the... They, they're weird. <laughs> and Ew. sure, the toasted it sounds like ravioli, we see like a mango. Yeah, I mean the the toasted ravioli <laughs> is nice. I, I when I went over to Missouri and I said, oh okay, yeah, I like this. This is a pretty yeah. cool delicacy. Um, there was one other thing about St. Louis food that I was going to mention. It's on the tip of my tongue. Well, on their on their pizza, they th we're getting into St. Louis here, but they put like Prevel cheese on it, and then that's. That's St. Louis pizza. I mean, it's really just basically New York style with Prevel on top. If there's anyone listening to St. Louis, they're probably livid with me right now. Um, but that's their version of their own pizza is putting Prevel on it. Huh. Well, I had one more comment that I was going to make about St. Louis food, but I just unfortunately don't remember it. I'm going to blame it on my state. <laughs> so well, There's Ted Drew's ice cream. There's a Fitz's soda pop. Uh, there's a variety of different 
things famous in St. Louis. But back over to the western side of the state, uh, Kansas City being famous for their barbecue, famous for their fountains. I believe more fountains in Kansas City than any other city uh, in the United States, I think. Uh, Famous for jazz music. Um, Great jazz clubs all throughout the city. Uh, We'll get into that in just a little bit. Uh, Also, the Plaza Shopping District, very famous. uh, Actually modeled after Seville, Spain. It's kind of like a sister city sort of thing, like its own district. Hmm. So it's a great shopping experience to go to. So a lot of different things. There's a World War I museum in St. Louis. There's the um, just really a rich history throughout the city. Um, It's interesting to... Yeah. It, yep. Throughout KC, it's it's very interesting to uh, really take in the city and, and learn and learn everything that there is. But we stayed for five days in Kansas City. We stayed at the Twenty One C Museum Hotel. Um, now this was a place that uh, I knew about. There's a similar hotel, same name, sort of same concept, close to where we live now. Uh, but I've not stayed in one. And so, if you're unfamiliar with what that is, Twenty One C is essentially a museum and a hotel. So there's an art museum component to the hotel. And then there's also the hotel itself. It has a restaurant too. Uh, Normally under normal conditions, the museum is a separate sort of thing. So you don't have to stay at the hotel to experience it. You would buy a museum ticket, go through it. Um, Right now, due to COVID still being an active force in our lives, uh, it's not open to the public. So you do have to stay at the hotel in order to gain access to the museum. Um, But outside of the museum itself, uh, all the hallways, you know, multiple floors in this hotel. It's a very historic building. I believe it was the Presidential Hotel is what it was called. Harry S. Truman used to stay there a lot as well. Um, And he's actually the only president from Missouri, uh, fun fact there. But um, he would stay there, and and, and it has a rich history. But every floor is is really uh, just has incredible artwork throughout uh, the hallways, wherever you're going. And then your room even has a little um, uh, art going on as well, which is really cool. Uh, very, very awesome place to stay at. Very modern. They put a lot of work into this hotel to really um, futurize it, modernize it. Um, the first time I stayed in a, in a place where the shower was not separate from the bathroom, if that makes sense. There was literally just a curtain. So the same tile floor is in the bathroom. It's kind of a new concept, like houses are doing this where they'll have their shower and there's just basically a, a glass wall you go around. It was kind of like that. So that was really cool. Um, I had not seen something like that before. Um, and really just a great room, very soft bed. Highly recommend 21C. And actually, when you get into the room, you turn your TV on. You know, some hotels have their own hotel channel. This one was showing modern art with music, which was really cool. That's the mm. default that it was on. So. Great well, experience that, if you're in Kansas. That restroom that you mentioned, do you think that was a move towards accessibility? Um, like, is it a fully accessible shower, or was it something different? It's a fully accessible shower, but I believe all the showers were like this. Um, I'm a little too into home improvement stuff. It's one of my interests, but um, and just remodeling our shower, uh, it was something I considered. Uh, it's just really this just new concept where... You know, if you have a uh, shower that's tiled, let's say, on the walls, you might have a tub that it's in, or sometimes they do a shower pan, you might see. Uh, this new trend that people are moving towards is the same floor tile throughout your entire bathroom, and then the shower itself has kind of a dip in the middle with the drain. So it's like walking on the same floor. Houses would normally have like a... Where the closest to the spout being on top, right, you'd have a glass wall that kind of prevents that shower uh, water from hitting into the middle of the bathroom. Uh, but then to go around, you literally just walk. There might not be a curtain. What they did here was literally just uh, a curtain, but it's the same concept. Uh, okay. So I thought it was, it was very cool. It was an accessible 
room as well. But for my research, um, all of the showers um, in 21C were like that. And I imagine actually the ones that aren't accessible, I think they had that kind of glass partition there instead of the curtain. All right. Interesting. Thank you. Yeah, it was a very efficient way to shower. So um, that was great. We really just kind of uh, bundled in for the night. We had dri- driven from Colorado. I think we might have went out to eat somewhere. I can't remember where we went. I think it was just something really basic. It wasn't like Kansas City Inn or anything. Red but, Robin. Uh, yeah, Red Robin, exactly. Uh, Applebee's is headquartered in uh uh, Kansas City. So I guess you could say Applebee's would maybe be a Kansas City staple in a way, but uh, not historically. <laughs> uh, don't make me laugh. Ouch. <laughs> uh, so yeah. then we jumped over to the Nelson Atkins Museum the next day. So this was our first day in really full day in Kansas City. Nelson Atkins Museum, a museum that I had been to before uh, only once. So it's crazy to say that uh, you know, growing up, I went to Kansas City almost like every other weekend, it seems. Um, sometimes every weekend, because where I was from, there's really nothing to do. Um, so if there wasn't something going on on the weekend, we'd go to Kansas City. Um, but I've only been to Nelson Atkins Museum once. Um, it was only for a high school trip, and it was for a Spanish club trip specifically. So we only stuck to one section of the museum, because that's all the time that we had. And it was the Picasso exhibit that was in town. Uh, it was Ooh. a traveling Picasso exhibit. So that was really cool. I have seen um, Picasso's work. And I believe there is one Picasso painting always on display in Nelson Atkins. But this was a whole um, really conglomerate of his work. It was a traveling thing. It was very cool. Um, and that was housed in the contemporary side of the museum. So the contemporary side is not the original historic looking building. Um, so we, I don't think we traveled into that part. Um, I was so interested with Picasso really taking that in. And we had to also, there was a school element into it. So we had to write some things down with it being Spanish club. Um, but outside of that, I really stuck to the contemporary side of things and, and didn't venture into the more historic part of the museum. And so this is what we focused on uh, on this trip. Uh, very interesting things. I had no idea the amount of old artifacts this museum had. Um, I think in my mind, when I think of a museum, I always think of just paintings on the walls and sculptures, uh, and that's really it. And then, of course, a contemporary element as well. Um, this had a variety of old artifacts, and it was very interesting to see um, a little bit of background on kind of where I've been in my life. Uh, in college, I actually had a minor uh, in religious studies, uh, and my focus was on um, Old and New Testament um, of sort of studies as well, the historical aspect of that. And so I've always been fascinated with old Mesopotamian art, um, kind of the Fertile Crescent area, Tigris, Euphrates sort of thing. And so they had very old artifacts from there to see those old um, pots, pot shards even. It's very cool uh, to see, you know, it's just so wild to think, wow, humans are old. (laughs) Like this is how we used to spend our time and this is how we used to live. And that's so cool to me. And there was even a a lot of Egyptian artifacts I love. really anything about Egypt. It's so fascinating to me. Uh, there is a full sarcophagi or sarcophagus, sarcophagus, I would say it's singular. Um, they had both the, um, outer casket, the inner casket, they even had an actual wrapped, uh, mummy still. It wasn't from the same tomb, but it was given to the museum somehow. I don't understand the story there, but, um, seeing how, and not to get too existential here, but seeing how these people prepped for death is so, fascinating to me, the amount of prep work that they had, what they thought they would experience uh, once they died. Uh, This life was really just the beginning of their journey. Um, And so that's so fascinating to me. And I always wonder how they would talk, how they would speak, share stories back then. Uh, I was really kind of in heaven and I wasn't expecting to enjoy it 
this much. Uh, art museums are, are, are fine. I have difficulty interpreting things, especially contemporary stuff. Um, but this was, this was great. It was really more of a history museum in, th in, that, in that regard. Uh, so then from there, you know, you kind of go through a timeline of civilization and, and how art has, has changed throughout, throughout uh, our time here. And uh, at least since we have the oldest artwork being those things. And uh, what was really interesting to me, too, going back to kind of uh, my minor with my education, was really the um, early Christianity stuff, the icons um, as uh, different, uh, really orthodox Christian religions would call them, uh, these just beautiful stories. Like you're seeing these these stories that have been told for so long um, through um, both verbally and through writing, and to see their interpretation of these things in art is so fascinating to me. Um, I shared some of the more interesting things on the Corkscrew Convos Instagram. You'll need to go follow that. Check out the story that we archived. Um, you can kind of see the fun that we had and some of the cool, cool little paintings I have. There's a little, a little demon guy who's torturing somebody because he took his, he took his pants. He can't find his pants. It's interesting. You know, wow. we always, we kind of, kind of our humor has been the same for hundreds, if not thousands of years. I find that fascinating. Uh, they have what they, what was thought to be John the Baptist's finger on display. Um, they know it's not now, but it's kind of one of those traditions things where, for years, someone would have said, "Come look at John the Baptist's finger." And, Ooh, oh my! Uh, and you know, you know, blessings around that and that sort of thing. But that was interesting to see too. We then jumped into more of the, um, yeah, the the more modern art. We we went through kind of the Renaissance area, then we jumped into more um, the Expressionism area and that sort of thing. Um, and they also had a, a, a Monet painting that was on display. Um, I believe it was called wildflowers or water lilies that's what it was water lilies Ooh. um this was uh probably the most famous painting at the museum this was a traveling thing i think um they do have monet paintings on display by the picasso stuff normally but this was a very large painting you had to wait in a line there's only so many people allowed in the room to see it it was very quiet they even had a little bit of atmospheric music to kind of take you into that water lily scene very cool. Um, so the museum was great. Um, we explored. We actually had to go back a second day. It was really our last day before going home to do some more of the museum up on the second floor. They have, or the third floor, I should say. They have Japanese art, Native American art, uh, ancient Asian art, um, and then some more uh, modern things up there as well. Um, that was very cool as well. Um, love anything to deal with um, Japan and Native American history as well. Uh, so really a great museum. You have to go uh, at least experience it if you go to Kansas City and have not been before. Even if you're slightly a fan of art, it's something you've got to do, I would say. Uh, the outside of the museum is very striking. They have badminton birdies, shuttlecocks outside on the lawn itself, like gigantic sized. Um, so really they commissioned an artist to make this and it, he, he, he envisioned the, <laughs> the entire museum, the lawn outside from a top-down view is kind of a badminton court. And so it's really cool to see, see the different sizes of those giant birdies. But the coolest thing I thought, and we couldn't fit it in, Chris, unfortunately, but some genius came up with the idea to have a mini golf course in the outdoor section of this museum. And each hole was themed to a different piece of art that's housed at the museum. So there's a Picasso hole, there's a badminton course hole, very, very great idea. An ancient Greek pot hole. It was, it was awesome. Uh, I really wish I could have fit that in. But whoever had that idea, that person deserves a raise. What a great way to incorporate artwork and a themed entertainment experience into the Nelson Atkins Museum. Bravo to that person. Yeah, that sounds incredible. That really does sound amazing. All of the 
uh, iconic pieces that they have in that collection. Um, I do want to say one thing in favor of St. Louis, because I know we're giving Kansas City a lot of love in this particular episode, but it's very interesting to note of all the places in the world where there could be the original statue of the thinker. DJ, do you know where the original statue is in this world? I feel like you're going to say St. Louis. Yes, it's St. Louis. I sort of led that into it, but it's very incredible (laughs) to think. Um, For those at home who are not familiar with this statue, uh, it's the iconic figure of the man uh, sitting on something and resting his head on his arm as he is thinking. Um, uh, Some might think that he is uh, conducting business of some kind. Um, (laughs) But that's the thinker. It's an iconic statue. Um, And there's several installations of it, several uh, facsimiles that have been created. But the original from France was moved to St. Louis for the 1904 World's Fair. And after the World's Fair, France said, you know what? It's going to be too much of a hassle to move this. Y'all can keep it. (laughs) And (laughs) it's still in St. Louis. (laughs) Very interesting. A lifelong Missourian myself and had no idea that was at the St. Louis Museum. Yeah, well, I I just wanted to give a little bit of a tangent in favor of St. Louis because we did give them a hard time about some of their foods and just wanted to let them know no hard feelings. I love their hockey team, Go Blues, but uh, uh, Kansas City has a facsimile of the thinker at Nelson Atkins. Not the original, though. Um, So that was Nelson Atkins. Again, really like the experience. Definitely check it out. It is a a free uh, museum. They will ask for basically pay pay what you think it's worth sort of system. Um, And they want people to be members. But obviously, if you're not in Kansas City or close, you're probably not going to be a member. Um, but that's how they, they get donations. Uh, and then the mini golf course experience, that, that's an extra charge. Uh, so they're making some money there, another revenue opportunity. They have a cafe as well included. But, uh, yeah, great experience. Um, you know, they do have a parking garage as well, so just a little trip planning there for you. Um, that does cost extra as well. I believe that's $12. Um, so you can save a little bit of money uh, parking on the street outside. I don't even think it's metered. I think it's by hour. But remember, you'll be be on a time limit if you're out there. So just something to think about. And so that was Nelson Atkins Museum. Is this downtown a, in Kansas City? This is near the plaza. So it's off of uh, Emanuel Cleaver, I believe, um, close to... Uh, I think it's close to Broadway. It's somewhat close to Broadway. I'd have to look again. Um, I Kansas City is so strange to me. I can find my way out of it. Like I, I know where I'm at with how the street numbers work and everything. But my mind works with landmarks and different points, like different, you know, I can even see like, oh, I know what this stoplight is. Like I recognize the scenery around it, but I'm really bad with street names. It's just off the plaza, just to the east of it. Um, so, and then of course any GPS is going to find it for you very easily. Um, but that was that. Then we had another errand that we just needed to run while we, while we were in Kansas City. After we did that though, we were back on vacation. We jumped over to really something that I had not considered. Um, this is what this trip is full of things that we didn't really think about. Um, This is kind of a last minute tack on. Um, We were supposed to be in Colorado a bit more, but we ended up doing more things in Kansas City. And so I was just kind of coming up with things to do that I've heard about or thought about. And so one of the things that uh, my wife and I thought thought about, who's on this vacation with me, 
we love escape rooms. Um, we like to do escape rooms. Uh, I wouldn't say, Chris, we're enthusiasts yet with escape rooms. Um, one of my bucket list items is to own my own escape room, maybe someday, along with my own haunted attraction, and you know that very well. But um, this is very cool. This is kind of where... The interactive experience meets kind of an acting sort of thing. Um, it really kind of meshes together. It's very immersive, very immersive entertainment, more so than a ride would be, in my opinion. Even the most immersive ride, it's difficult to touch an escape room for a variety of reasons. And you could argue that, you know, one is more enjoyable for something else, but an escape room is something we really like. And so one that was interesting, there's, there's one I know about. It's called Breakout KC. We decided not to do that one. That's probably the most famous one. I think you're locked in an old, actually, it used to be a jail at one point, and they've converted into, like, escape room sort of things. But uh, we decided to check out the Full Moon Escape Rooms. Uh, and, you know, to kind of jump on that just a little bit more, dear listener, an escape room is really a story that you're thrust in. You're thrown into a room, you're told there's only one way out, and that is that is to solve the puzzles to get out. Of course, there are emergency exits if something comes up, but really, more than often, you're in a room for either an hour or an hour and a half, sometimes 45 minutes, usually an hour though, and you're tasked with getting out. You never come back in. You never leave the same way you come in, I should say. You have a variety of clues you're trying to figure out. It's really like a big puzzle game, um, but you're involved, and so, this one was very special to me, though, Chris. I talked about my love for haunted attractions. Uh, the Full Moon Escape Room is owned by Full Moon Productions. Uh, Full Moon Productions owns the four um, large haunted houses in Kansas City, their own standalone haunted houses. So you have um, the two newer ones, which are the Chambers of Edgar Allan Poe. It's a haunted house based around Edgar Allan Poe and his writings. You kind of go through uh, his different books and poems, short stories. Uh, and then you have Macabre Cinema, the other newer one of the bunch of four. Uh, that's really throwing you into iconic movies, you know, Freddy, Jason, um, that kind of thing. I think The Shining's in there even a little bit. Uh, but really iconic stuff, slasher flicks too. Um, but the two more famous, ho uh, not hotels, the two more famous haunted houses um, would be The Edge of Hell, uh, which is really, I believe they call it Kansas City's original haunted attraction and the beast. Uh, and so just a quick little informa information there, the edge of hell is about a uh, 30, 40 minute walk through attraction here. Wow, Literally it's, big. it's, it's huge. Uh, I believe it spans five or six floors, um, in an old building. Uh, you're really at one point you're in purgatory, you're in heaven. Uh, and then you really experience, uh, hell like Dante's Inferno style. Um, so it's not like some people might be familiar with like a hell house or a judgment house. It's not like that. Um, this is pure scare. Um, it's very terrifying. Um, there's, I think one of the world's largest, it was a Guinness world record at one point, but it's one of the world's largest, uh, anacondas in captivity. Uh, they have you, an anaconda there. Yes. Yes. And when 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 the Edge of Hell haunted Why house would is they open, do that. When the Edge of Hell haunted oh house is open, my. you walk by an anaconda. And sometimes, I believe when the tr when the trainer is there, I could be completely wrong here, but I think it's out. Like it's just on the floor at one point. Oh my word! I will not be doing that. That is. <laughs> I think that's too much for me. And there's an entire uh, snake portion of the Edge of Hell. So. Uh, it also has, I believe, a three-story spiral slide in the middle of it, uh, which is cool. It was a little fire escape slide, I think, that they've repurposed and made it uh, safe to traverse. Uh, so that's there. But this escape room is located in the Beast. So the Beast is, they I think they call it the, 
the largest, this is their terminology, but the largest haunted attraction either in the United States or North America, um, I think the shortest you could probably get through it is 45 minutes, but for most people it takes an hour to get through. Um, The Beast is famous for their open concept haunted house. So most haunted houses that you go in, especially theme park haunted houses, are extremely linear, meaning you're in a room, you see the exit, you go through the exit, you experience a scene and a scare, you go to the next room. You might, in a bigger room, experience two or three of those scenes. An open concept haunted house is a bit different in that you enter into a room, the exit is not easily findable. It might be hidden, it might be behind a bunch of fog, it could be anywhere. Uh, And so in that haunted house, if you've never experienced it before, you can get lost very easily. You can easily get separated from your party. Um, it's a very intense haunted house experience. Um, I, I know I'm kind of making these seem extremely scary because they are, but if you're any at all interested in these houses, you have to experience them when they're open. I think it's late August through early November. Uh, but they even have like, a, I think their biggest room is like the werewolf forest. It's an entire floor of what is really the old John Deere um, building in Kansas City. It's just a gigantic room with one small way out. And I think every 15 or 20 minutes, they quote, unleash the werewolves. Uh, so really, that's when the actors basically scare you to the exit if you don't find your way out. But almost every time I've gone to that house, I think I've been three times, um, I always end up, I'm usually with my party, I don't lose them, but somebody from another party is with us, some stranger. So it's very intense experience. Definitely check it out, though. They, well, is that stranger someone from another group, or are they yes. a plant? Well, that, that's a good point. I think they're another group, though. I think I think I see them reconnect with somebody else. Um, that has a four-story slide in it as well, straight-down slide, basically, uh, which is really cool, too. And probably my favorite part of that is the uh, London scene. They have, they've actually taken the floor and <laughs> put in cobblestone, so you really feel like you're on a street in London with Jack the Ripper just around the corner. Um I think that's one of the first Jack the Ripper scenes ever in a haunted house, even. Uh, you see the shops of London. He could be in any of the shop facades. It's it's really good, Chris. I will always recommend those houses to anybody. Um, but back to the escape room. Uh, the room that we decided to do was the Beast Tool Room. Uh, it was very cool. Lots of old machinery in there, moving objects. Um, you know, like old... Um, uh, metal lathe sort of things. Um, there was uh, a, a puzzle with some electrical components to it. Um, I don't want to really go into it because I don't want to spoil it for people because um, it's kind of the point of escape room is you don't really tell what you did. Um, but we were told that was the hardest one. It was very hard. Um, there are some things in there I, I, I won't really talk about again because I don't want to spoil it. But I will say I thought it was worth the money to do it. Um, we almost spent an hour in there. Uh, and it was, it's a very intimate experience. It's just my wife and myself. Um, so you get to do that together and kind of troubleshoot and figure things out. There's a kind of an acting element. The guide in there tells you kind of the story and what you're experiencing. And we did make it out with seven minutes to spare. That was cool. Um, but it was very challenging. That might be the most challenging one I've done, not only because how well designed it was, but it was also just me and my wife. Usually I've done it with her and a group of friends or something like that. Um, this is very challenging. And the hints are different. Uh, you can usually have a series of hints at escape rooms. So they might say, oh, you get three hints. And then after that, you're done. This had unlimited hints. But for every hint you took, they would take two and a half minutes off of your time. So 
you could also run into negative time basically, but just something to consider. Um, and it was, it was an interesting way that they, that they did that, but I loved it. Um, very good. And I think the coolest thing for me was doing an escape room in a haunted house. I grew up going to, uh, and also you traverse a bit of the haunted house, although there's no one in there and the lights are off in effects, but you traverse that to get into the escape room. So it's kind of like a space mountain lights on thing for me. Like, wow, this is a haunted house I've been to. I recognized everything. And it was just really cool just to, you know, literally to get to the escape room, you just go up to the front door of the beast and you push the buttons and it's like a little speaker that says, hi, can we help you? Yeah, we want to do the escape room. Okay, cool. They unlock the door, you open it and you traverse right into the first scene into the beast. It was so cool. And you're met there with people and it was great. Uh, Got to wow. recommend that. So again, that's full moon escape rooms uh, in Kansas City in the West Bottoms. Yeah, escape rooms really stress me out, DJ. <laughs> Uh, really? I've done it uh, at least twice, I think, maybe three times, but they're a very stressful experience because that time keeps ticking down. And then I say, oh, no, this painting has four sides of its frame, but the other is a triangle. What does that mean? Does that mean anything? Meanwhile, <laughs> I, I'm, I should be looking at something entirely different, but I'm fixated on the, the frames on the paintings and, oh, is that a code? Can I use that for this step or did I already miss it? But I'm glad that you enjoyed the escape rooms. It does sound like a really nicely uh, executed escape room, escape room over at the Beast. So I'm glad that you're able to experience that. Yeah, it was it was so good. Um, their staff that makes their props, their experiences, they're the ones responsible for the escape room. So that's what excited me too. I knew the same level of theming and immersiveness in the beast would be at this escape room. Very well done. I highly recommend. Go check it out. Uh, it's also in a very historic part of Kansas City, the old stockyards, which is the West Bottoms now. This is where all the cattle trading used to happen. Um, people in my family used to go up there to do that back in the day. So it's really cool. Um, and it allows them. It's really a good idea. I mean, a haunted house, it's only open three months out of the year. And now they have a revenue source all year, uh, really. So that's something yeah. cool, too. Uh, that night, kind of to wind down, we actually ate in the hotel restaurant, which was really nice. Um, it's called the Savoy. Uh, very good. Uh, and then after that, we went to the Green Lady Lounge. This is downtown. 21C, the hotel, is also downtown, and the West Bottoms are as well, where the escape room was. Uh, so we went to the Green Lady Lounge, a place I had been once, took uh, my wife there. She'd never been there. Really just a great jazz club. Um, we got there right before the band started, so we were able to um, order some drinks. Uh, she had kind of some some virgin drinks because she's pregnant right now, and um, I had a couple beverages myself. Uh, there's no smoking, so we didn't have to worry about that. That's not a thing anymore, at least in this club. Uh, and it's just very low lit, awesome jazz music. I love jazz. Um, really love the energy. I love, you know, when the the guitarist goes into kind of his sort of solo and then jump over to the bass solo and the keys solo. And every time there's like that little solo, when they're done, the the, the applauses that you know they start. And I'm a musician myself, so sometimes I was initiating those applauses and everybody would kind of join in. But it's really mm. cool to just start clapping, you know, in the middle of the song. And I've really missed that collective energy. Um, I I went to that club back in early 2019, I think, for the first time. So this was really a, a safe taste of, of uh, really this something that I've missed a lot, both live music and being around people. Um, but it was great. Very much missed that. And so that really gets you in the Kansas City spirit, right? City of jazz. Um, and so highly recommend Green Lady Lounge. There's other lounges, I'm sure, but that's one I'm familiar with. I really like it. Really enjoy it. Really like the vibe. Uh, great music, too. 
Uh, so that was a day in Kansas City. The next day, we headed over to the Kansas City Zoo. Um, this was very good experience. Uh, awesome zoo. I'm not really into zoos. Like, I wouldn't consider, you know, I go to cities and I don't think, oh, let's check out the zoo. Uh, in my limited zoos that I've been to, I've been to Kansas City's, uh, St. Louis. I think I've been to the Evansville Zoo in Indiana randomly. Uh, I've been to a zoo, I think, down in Mississippi when I was really, really little. Um, so... Not the biggest experience with zoos, um, but I really enjoyed it. Maybe there's a little nostalgia there, although I didn't remember anything. I, I went twice when I was very little, uh, once for like a school trip in elementary school and once with my with my mom and her family, but um, it was cool to be back in the zoo. Um, I didn't really recognize anything until the back half of the zoo, but the first half is like... Uh, there's penguins. They had a koala bear exhibit that was traveling. That was awesome. They had rescued some koalas from the Australian wildfires. I've not seen a koala in person before. That was great. Uh, the sort of reptile house and kind of the, you know, uh, m kind of monkey house. That was really cool. Um, saw some some awesome animals in there. Um, and then uh, the penguins exhibit. I think that's newer, maybe. Um, but it's cool to always see penguins. Penguins are great. Um, and just to learn about the animals, that's probably my favorite part. I love seeing them and seeing them up close, but learning their story and how they're rescued and, and, and how they're continuing to take care of them and how important they are to the environment, how endangered they are is always fascinating to, to hear about as well. Um, and there's also kind of this barnyard exhibit where there were uh, a couple parrots, um, or not parrots, uh, large toucans, I think. Classic barnyard creatures, parrots <laughs> and toucans. Exactly. <laughs> and it was so funny because they're just out. Like, there's a railing, but they're just there. Uh, and so, you know, one of them's kind of dancing and bobbing his head up and down. And so, like, we're doing that, too. And he's, like, mimicking us. It's so funny. Uh, just so interesting to just... I could just look at them for, like, hours. Um, <laughs> Joe kind of has to pull me away, uh, my wife. But it's, it's really cool. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so we jump over to uh, the Africa section. To get to the Africa section, you have to walk down... See the elephants. Elephants are awesome. Really cool to see them. Uh, kind of the amusement portion of this, we jumped into a Chance Rides uh, zebra-painted train, or tram, I should say, really. Uh, so Chance makes a variety of coasters and rides, but they're also very famous for their transport systems and their miniature railway trains that they make. Uh, and they're actually located in Wichita, Kansas, so it makes sense that the Kansas City Zoo would have that uh, easy relationship there, I feel like. The tram takes you on what would be a long walk um, down to the Africa section of the park, of uh, the zoo, which is uh, kind of the back half. This is the half I remember. Uh, it hasn't been updated since I've been there. Um, so I recognize more things, but variety of animals we saw. We saw flamingos. We, see, we saw lions. Of course, tigers. No bears, but lions and tigers. Um, oh, my. Variety of monkeys, chimpanzees, gorillas. Yes. Um Little, little foxes, hyenas, uh, very cool experience, uh, antelope, um, those sorts of uh, kind of African savanna animals, very cool. There's also a chairlift that gets you to the back of Africa. Um, could not do that, unfortunately, um, just didn't have time to do that. But there's another amusement opportunity for you there, a little reference. And then as we were leaving, we did kind of the we went back to the front section and did kind of the section by itself in the front. That was Australia. That was I think my favorite um, because when you get to the kangaroo portion, which is very large, um, the kangaroos are just out. Like they could just come up to you and walk beside you um, as you're as you're walking. They may or may not. There's signs saying like 
you know, don't rush at a kangaroo, don't do this and that. Um, but so cool just to, it's kind of like the, the sort of the toucan thing, like these animals are right there, animals that I would normally not see. And they're, they're literally just right there. There's nothing blocking them. Um, so that was very cool. I, I, I don't think I even have done that in the past. So that was, that was cool for me. Um, but overall I'd give the zoo very high experience, um, very high points on experience. Um, I don't think the tickets were too terribly expensive under $20 a piece for sure. Um, but another ticketed attraction if you're in Kansas city, I would recommend you do it. Um, they're putting love into the zoo. Um, you can tell, especially with the front section, there's even a carousel they've put in since I've been there. Um, but you can tell the love is there. Uh, people are donating to it. I think there was a large legislative, um, sort of push that passed with this last, last round of voting with the residents. So I think they're going to pour even more money into it. Um, but it's kind of in uh, Swope park area in Kansas city, which is right, literally right by the starlight theater, which is an open air, um, theater oh, I in love Kansas that city. Theater. Isn't it awesome? Starlight oh, is yes. great. Uh, it's really like live theater out in the out outside, um, and they do some acts that come in too. But mostly, it's off Broadway sort of things. Um, and the zoo's just right there. It's so cool how close it is. Um, yeah, I've actually briefly volunteered at the Starlight Theater, DJ. Did you know that? I did know that, and and I told my wife that while we were there. I was like, Chris has a history with this theater, and and yeah. for some reason she didn't know they were together. That was interesting too. She's like. I've been to the Starlight and I've been to the zoo. I guess I didn't know. Literally, there's just a road that separates them. Yeah, the Starlight Theater is probably, if I remember correctly, 7,500 seats, somewhere around there. That sounds right. Uh, it's a beautiful entrance experience with, again, a fountain because you're in Kansas City. Uh, and then there's this <laughs> enormous uh, stage set up and then this amphitheater along the hillside there. Uh, they do house a lot of Broadway tours when those are going. They have other acts as well, some concerts as well. And in the winter, they actually close up the stage building and build a sort of indoor theater experience purely where the stage is usually in regular operation. So it's a much more intimate experience, and they're able to have... Um, types of theater and different experiences that they wouldn't be able to effectively communicate to 7,500 people at a time if they were to uh, just run it as they usually do during most of the year. Uh, so it's a really beautiful venue. Wow. Uh, there's a lot of history there. They do have some indoor uh, event infrastructure as well. Uh, I'd highly recommend it if you uh, are interested in the act that is coming to the Starlight Theater in Kansas City. Go check them out. Yeah, it's 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 not a Red Rocks, but it's it's pretty awesome. It's a very unique experience for sure, um, and the proximity to the zoo is really cool too. And it's in a, a a pretty cool area. It's really close to the plaza as well. So again, plenty to do in Kansas City. Um, and that was uh, kind of our day on that day. And then that evening after we had some dinner, we jumped over. Or no, we didn't eat dinner actually because we went to the Royals game. Uh, and so my wife was wanting a. Kauffman Stadium hot dog so badly. Uh, it's a normal craving, and her pregnancy has just expounded the craving for that stadium hot dog. Uh, and so our uh, Royals game experience was great. I probably hadn't been there in four or five years. Um, I think I went once in college during the summer or something, but it'd been a while. Um, I was thought I was at the bot very bottom of the nosebleeds, so kind of the very upper section of Kauffman Stadium. 
Um, unfortunately, I wasn't. Thank you, Seat Geek. Uh, the picture that I was shown was not the seat that I had. Uh, we were up pretty high, um, but it was still great. Um, you know, baseball is one of those sports that, you know, just depending, as long as the sun isn't in a terrible spot, there really isn't a terrible seat for baseball. It's kind of like hockey, um, in, in my opinion. Um, so there's not really action going on far away from you. It's always kind of in the same spot. There's always something to look at. Um, but it was great. Uh, Kaufman actually has a brand new LED screen that they debuted this year. Uh, it still fills that Royals emblem large um, kind of uh, really centerpiece of the stadium. Uh, but all new LEDs. I'm telling you, Chris, it was like the the most crisp image on an LED display I'd ever seen. Um, it makes you wonder, you know, sometimes if you get close to those huge displays, they get very blurry. Um, this like lost no fidelity at all. And they had re they had replaced a bunch of screens, too. And so it was a very awesome experience. That's what they had done in the 2020 season when they had some downtime there at the beginning. Um, but very awesome experience. Um, I forgot how expensive beer is yeah. <laughs> at an event like that. I think it was twelve dollars. Eight to twelve. Was it at least craft? But it was. It was. Um, I had a couple. I, I I ended up buying two because the lines were so long. I was like, I don't want to wait twice. Um, so I got two Boulevard beers. I love Boulevard and oh yeah, Boulevard. I forgot Boulevard about is, them. Is, is technically craft. Some people are going to be like, well, it's not really, but. I think it's craft beer. I mean, they call themselves Kansas City's craft beer. So, um, and you know, it's really funny. Uh, just quickly on sponsorships, uh, at Kauffman Stadium, there is in the outfield you have Blue Moon advertisement and a whole Blue Moon deck in right field. Left field you have Miller Lite entire deck. So two huge advertisements, and then toward of center to right field. There's a huge Boulevard advertisement. So you have like three beer sponsors at one stadium. I found that kind of interesting. I, I guess I don't remember that. And I'm sure Boulevard has like its kind of own thing being craft. But something I thought was interesting that I never really thought about in the past, I guess. Hey, well, if, the, if one of them wants to pay for exclusivity, that's fine. But <laughs> exactly. otherwise, let's open up the deals, I guess. <laughs> Whoever wants to sponsor, come on over. Absolutely. And, and this was the, I think the last series. So this was the Detroit Tigers. It was their first game against the Tigers. Uh, I think this was the last series for limited capacity at Kauffman. So I think they're now back to normal capacity. Um, but seats were spaced out up there. Um, no one's going around with peanuts or beverages or anything. No hot dogs. Uh, you're basically um, going to the actual uh, vendors uh, kind of in the back section there. Um, and you could feel it, Chris, I'll be honest. Um, you could feel that the lines were longer because of this, um, because of the way the world is, and this year being, again, a year like no other, just like last year, things are different for the time being, and so lines were a bit longer, but we still were able to get $1 hot dogs where we were at, uh, which was great. Um, I think the way they do that is they partner with different groups who want to, similar to how parks do, you know, work in the park and earn some money for their nonprofit or whatever group they're in. Kind of the same thing here. They have groups running this dollar hot dog thing. So got my wife some hot dogs um, and we played the Detroit Tigers. Um, very good game until the sixth inning. <laughs> then Miguel Cabrera hit a grand slam when we were up two. Bases loaded with two outs. I think there might have even been two strikes. Uh, wow. <laughs> he just knocked it out of the park. I mean, I had to kind of just sit there and, you know, I was super upset, but just kind of clap because this was such a good hit. Uh, it's one of those hits where 
You hear the crack of the bat throughout the stadium. As soon as it leaves the bat, the, when the ball leaves the bat, you're like, oh, no, this is out of here. You just knew it. Way out into the outfield, um, got a grand slam. So then we were down by two, and we just couldn't come back for whatever reason. Um, but that's okay. Um, I grew up with the Royals who never won. <laughs> so uh, winning the World Series in 2015, I think before that, we won in 85. Um, so it's been it, it had been a while. Um, but I you know I'm kind of used to that. I don't think I've ever actually been to a Royals game where they have won. Um, but that's fine. Uh, what we did not know was that there was a fireworks show that night. Uh, had no idea. That would explain probably why it was busy. This was also a Friday night, so more busier game than usual, or more busy game than usual, I should say. But fireworks show was great. Had to have lasted at least 15 minutes, uh, maybe 20 minutes. Uh, it was all th- uh, synced with country music, um, which uh, it works. Like you know, usually I think of fireworks shows, I think of some sort of medley of a variety of genres. This was all country though. Uh, modern country too, uh, but it had an awesome mortar finale. Uh, just a good, even solid minute of just those loud, flashbang like mortars that you see. Yeah, just cracking the sound barrier. You see the light, and then boom, while other things are going. Very good. I'm, I'm glad we stayed around for it. Um, got out of there pretty efficiently too. So uh, a good night there at Kauffman Stadium. Every time I go, I'm like. Oh, I wish I could go to these more often. Uh, I, I love baseball, love going to watch baseball. And so it was another kind of uh, something I'd been missing, similar to the jazz club, just being around people, uh, being outside, uh, really kind of a nice early summer day. I think towards the night it got a little cool, probably low 70s, but it was about 80, 82 degrees when that game started. So uh, definitely baseball weather in my baseball opinion. Baseball weather. <laughs> exactly. Exactly yep. what you said. Yep, it was great. Uh, they did do the ketchup, mustard, uh, relish run that they always do at Coffin Stadium. Unfortunately, ketchup won, so Yay. congrats to the ketchup fans out there. Uh, oh, my, yeah. my beloved yellow mustard did not win, uh, but that's okay. As long as relish doesn't win, we're fine. And so that was the day at Kauffman Stadium, and now we jump to really the theme park portion of this podcast. <laughs> we've talked about themed entertainment, live entertainment, as we've talked about even... We got the theater in here for once. We talk about the theater at the top of the show. We were actually able to get a little bit in there, but we're now jumping to Worlds of Fun. Um, this was Worlds of Fun's opening day uh, in Kansas City. They are, dear listener at home, they are owned by Cedar Fair, same company that owns parks like Cedar Point in Sandusky, Ohio, Knott's Berry Farm in Southern California. And so Worlds of Fun is uh, a, a park that they had gotten ownership in the 90s, I believe, kind of late 90s. It was originally owned 95. by Hunt Midwest. Well, 95. Um, they originally owned by Hunt Midwest. Um, this was um, Lamar Hunt. Lamar Hunt being kind of the person to, one of the people that really uh, took Kansas City into more of the modern age. Lots of different projects around. Um, his family still owns the Kansas City Chiefs. Um, but this was really um, Hunt's kind of soiree into the theme park world. So you imagine something like, Bush Gardens, similar to that. Um, not Disney level by any means. Disney had been around, but this was kind of his chance to try the theme park market, try the model on for size. Um, I believe at this point, Six Flags St. Louis was open. So I think Kansas City's a little bit later than that. Could be wrong there. It may be before. We might need someone to fact check us on that. Um, but it's a park that's um, very different from Cedar Fair. And what I mean is that you can tell the theming is 
it's just more like it's there. Um, you go to a park like, you know, Cedar Point or um, some of their other parks that have really been in the chain for a while. Um, Cedar Point's the one that I have the most familiarity with. And there's some loose theming there, I would say. Um, but it's more like eh, each ride's kind of themed and there's just a bunch of midway sections. They do have the frontier uh, section of their park, which is, you know, kind of there. But um, Worlds of Fun is really a journey through um, Around the World in 80 Days by Jules Verne. Um, and so this is kind of your journey into a variety of continents. The person I was with uh, is actually an avid listener of the show. Uh, he did not know this. Uh, they don't really advertise it. I think it's something that maybe Cedar Fair could poke on a little bit more um, to kind of bring the theme and immersion into it. But really, it's mimicking that book. So you're going through a variety of different areas, variety of different worlds, <laughs> as far as theming is concerned. And they're based. most of the rides are based on the part of the, of the country or part of the world that you are in. And so uh, if you do go to Cedar Fair Parks and you're familiar with others, going to Worlds of Fun, you'll see some things like, you know, they got the trash can that looks similar and, you know, their park maps look similar, but lots of theming that really um, you might not believe you're in a Cedar Fair Park. Um, up and up until Worlds of Fun, you know, uh, they'd also bought the, the Paramount Parks after that, and they have some reminiscent themings of older days, but uh, Worlds of Fun really has that that homemade theming that you might see from parks like Bush Gardens, some Hershen parks, even a little bit of Knott's Berry Farm, I would say. Um, but as we went through the park, it was a rainy day. We were hoping that would fight off the crowds, um, but it, we have to mention this was opening day for Worlds of Fun. Um, and this was really kind of the opening of the park. There were still some things not open, but it wasn't like in 2020 where not necessarily everything was open, um, but more of a return to normalcy as far as park operations are concerned and what you might expect. Um, it looked like as we were coming to the park, many rides were running. Um, we could see Patriot running. Um, I think I saw Steelhawk, which is their large um, Mondial Windseeker sort of uh, experience. And so we we're very excited for that. Uh, as we got into the park, though, one of the first things I always do when I'm in this park is I run left. Um, I run to Prowler, which is in the Africa section of the park, because most guests will go right. They'll go into the Orient section, the Americana section, to ride Spinning Dragons, their Gertzlauer's Spinning Roller Coaster, and Patriot, their B&M Inverted Coaster, because they're right there. You see Patriot from the parking lot. It amps you up. You're like, got to get on Patriot. Everyone loves Patriot at Worlds of Fun. Uh, and Spinning Dragons is there, too. So people are like, oh, we're here. Let's knock it out. But I always go the opposite way. I get on Prowler first. Um, Prowler was, was running great. This is a, a Great Coasters International custom woody layout. Um, one of their more kind of not compact design, it's very out there. Like it goes into different parts of the woods, it comes back, it snakes in around itself. Um, it's themed after um, basically a, a, a uh, uh, not a leopard, it's like a feline creature. Um, it's escaping right Yeah, Prowler. Um, it's like a dark cat. Panther. And the ride. Panther, that's it. Um, uh, it's themed after Panther, and um, it's really a great experience. Um, you have just a lap bar and a seatbelt. Um, it's those Millennium Flyers, those cushiony, large bench seats for two people. You kind of share the bench together. Um, an awesome twisting drop. We were in the very back seat for our ride, which is, in my opinion, my favorite seat on Prowler. Um, so you come right off the chain lift. You don't have time to even breathe. You're thrust into that twisting drop. You go underneath the lift hill structure, lots of awesome floating air times. Not much ejector on this, just really good floaters. Um, lots of floating 
into your seat, positive G's into the turns, coming out of your seat. A really cool like double down towards the end that I've always loved. It looks great for pictures. You see the train kind of lunge towards you and then lunge to the left side. It really looks like a panther, like a cat pouncing. It's really cool how it does that. Um, but great ride. Um, it is getting older. It opened in 2009, so it's kind of got some vibrations going on. Nothing I would say out of the ordinary from a wooden roller coaster, though. Um, and I'm, there are other GCIs that I think have um, deteriorated more throughout the years, but this one's really well, well taken yeah, care of. Yeah, and if, if you're familiar with an artist group called the Beach Boys, there is such a thing called good vibrations. <laughs> that, was a, that was a good way to sneak that in. I like that. Yes, good, good, good vibes really all around from Prowler. Uh, I rode that thing opening day. Really, the day it opens. So um, that's a special coaster uh, to my heart, at least, in my coaster journey. Um, but great ride. That's a ride where if you have the chance to go back for Worlds of Fun's Halloween haunt that they do, um, the fog in the park, the artificial fog, lurches its way over to Prowler. Uh, and this is really their only ride that's kind of out there. There's not much lighting back there. So that at night in the fog is awesome. You got to do that uh, if you have the chance to, at least. Um, so that was a great ride. Saw my friend Mackenzie, by the way, um, coaster friend of mine. I think they listen to the show. I'm not sure, but shout out to Mackenzie if you're listening. I, I think they said they were going to listen, but shout out Mackenzie. Uh, appreciate you uh, saying hi and uh, helping us get on Prowler. We really appreciate that, as in pulling our restraints down for us and helping us out there. After Prowler, uh, we then went to Mamba. So we're in the Africa section of the park. Also got to say hi to both of the haunted attractions that I used to work at at this park way back in the day. Um, so got to wave at the kind of the shell of the buildings that are there for now, say hello. Always good to see those two. Your um, King Henry has <laughs> returned. <laughs> yes, yes. You'll, you'll have to figure out, dear listener, um, which um, undead houses I, I was in. We kind of gave two hints there, um, but really miss that. Um, but anyways, um, I think I saw some folks, too, I used to work with in Haunt, but um, that was cool. Uh, saw those two haunts, uh, went by the Boomerang, which was not open. Um, it's a ride that uh, really at many parks, um, it's hard to catch open, Chris. Um, this is not just a world of fun issue. Um, many Boomerangs really around the world, um, it's kind of hit or miss. Uh, not a ride that I would necessarily get on anyway. For whatever reason, the backward section makes me very nauseous. Um, I think it's just high G's coming off of that large tower going backwards, being thrust into that vertical loop. Um, but I kind of stood there for a couple minutes, and dear listener, I'm referencing back to our Worlds of Fun Planet Park, which you now need to listen to after this. Uh, so you do the Western Expedition, then the Worlds of Fun Planet Park to know what I'm talking about. But that premier skyrocket that we talked about going into Boomerang's area calling it the Zambezi Zinger, named after the iconic Schwarzkopf jumbo jet that used to be in the Boomerang's location. Chris, I think it's the perfect fit. It looked like it could just fit so nicely right there, be compact in that area. I know Gosh, it is. Gosh, would it be striking. I know it's the perfect fit. It's got just a striking color scheme. I could just see it. Worlds of fun if you're listening. We're going to, we're going to kind of phase it over to you with our minds, and, and maybe you'll pick up on what we're trying to say here. But... It would, it would fit perfect. We're putting it saying. into the universe, and I think really that's the only thing that we can do. We are putting it into words. We're putting these words into the internet, <laughs> and uh, we'll see what comes out of that. 
<laughs> we definitely will. And so after I had my little daydream, we went over to Mamba, which is in the back of the park in the Africa section, kind of the closing out of the Africa section, really. It's by Fury of the Nile, which was running very cold. I don't think I would do Fury of the Nile. That's their river boat ride that they have. One of the only um, rotating stations, actually, on that boat ride where once you jump onto the kind of wood boarding to get on your uh, raft, the whole station is moving with you. Very cool design. One of the only ones to do that. Um, and I know they got some new tunnel effects on Fury of the Nile too, but would need to check that out another time. Wasn't in the cards to get wet that day. It was already raining. Um, so um, definitely a good idea to always take a raincoat with you, by the way. Ponchos are great, but this trip, I actually had a raincoat for the first time. That was like a godsend. <laughs> that was one of the best decisions I had ever made. And as we talked about before, I wear my park preferred shoes, Chaco sandals. Um, that was great too. Didn't have to worry about my feet getting wet because I'm wearing sandals. No socks. Are you effect. wearing socks with those sandals? I'm not. I'm actually wearing my Chacos right now. Okay. Well, I just had to do a quick fashion check. You have passed. <laughs> you may proceed. Thank you. Thank you very much. I actually got a new pack uh, that uh, my wife got me for her anniversary. So that will be added to the theme park attire as we move forward and we'll prep a us for our theme pack? park attire episode. A new hip pack. Prepping us for that episode, we, we've got to do that soon. We've got to do your ideal park um, setup or loadout, as the kids would say. Yeah, maybe even put that on the TikTok or something like that. <laughs> I think that'd be pretty fun. <laughs> what's your what's your ideal loadout? What's what what's your class look like? But so we jumped over to Mamba, um, excited to get on Mamba. Fortunately, it was down. Um, did not see it as we were pulling up to the park, so I was kind of worried. Um, I, the worries were right. It was down, unfortunately. was not moving, so we thought, well, what are we going to do now? So we jumped over to Detonator, which was, I believe, the world's first SNS double-shot tower. So before then, you had these single-shot towers. It's basically three seats on four sides around a tower. Your air compressed launched up and then brought down uh, faster than gravity. You get, like, an ejector airtime sort of thing. You've Almost every park has a similar ride. Uh, this was the first double, though. Excited to get on that. Got really close to the front. It also went down. It's just kind of first day bugs as we're working those out. Um, so we thought, okay, well, now we're by Timberwolf, uh, which I was really excited. Timberwolf I was looking forward to probably the most on this trip. Timberwolf is their um, Den Corporation uh, wooden roller coaster. Den Corporation rides, Chris, are not really known for their either longevity or smoothness. Um, they seem to deteriorate, deteriorate faster than the normal wooden coaster would say as far as ride experience is concerned. Um, Really, you can feel some jostling, and as it aged, and Timberwolf, you know, for the longest time, pretty much the 2000s onward until now, uh, didn't really have a great line. Uh, it was always a walk-on because, uh, in the nicest of terms, it was a very rough ride, uh, specifically for a wooden roller coaster. Yeah, there were even signs in the queue that said, a rough ride experience is expected and typical with this ride. This ride will be rough. <laughs> Uh, yes, yeah. crazy that they did that. Um, but uh, a very unique history with this ride, too. Uh, the same building used to be the former location of the uh, Scream Roller, which was then converted into the Extreme Roller. Uh, it was one of the first uh, corkscrew coasters in the country when it opened. Uh, and then it was eventually converted into an Aero Stand-Up, one of the only Aero Stand-Ups ever, and one of the first stand-ups in the world. Um, very simple ride layout, though, just a simple corkscrew layout with a kind of a turnaround drop, two corkscrews, and kind of a comes back in and on itself. But you'll notice if you ever ride this ride at Timberwolf, the 
PTC roller coaster trains don't line up with the air gates in the station. That's because those are the original air gates from the Scream Roller, Extreme Roller. Um, and so the gates are kind of off, but it's an interesting way they save money and repurposed an area uh, with this wooden roller coaster. Uh, and something you pointed out, Chris, you'll have to go back to this episode to get the original reference. There is a chicken exit sign in, in the actual ride queue building, and that is from the old Orient Express arrow looping coaster uh, elsewhere in the park that is now defunct. Yeah, there's a lot of history at that ride and in the area surrounding that ride. But DJ, how was it running? Running exceptionally smooth. Um, oh, good. You always have to say this caveat, and it's kind of a stigma that wooden roller coasters have. It just seems like folks will always say a wooden roller coaster is rough, and that's fair. But I think as enthusiasts, we always have this kind of caveat ourselves of having to say, well, it's very smooth for a wooden roller coaster. And the reason why wooden roller coasters are normally not as smooth as a steel coaster is they're not latched to the track necessarily. Um, They're not going to fly off. They have a set of road wheels on the top of the track of the steel uh, on top of that wooden beam. And then underneath that wooden beam, there's a set of guide wheels. Uh, running inside, and then a set of upstop wheels underneath the track. So it's just like a steel roller coaster in the wheel design, but there is gaps in between that. So that's something you have to consider. Um, So instead of gracefully traversing a steel pipe, you are, in the nicest of terms, um, banging into a turn. You're kind of jostling. Well, Well, yes, there's also that flat steel rail that runs on top of the different layers of laminated wood that make up the track itself. But I think another big difference is that the wooden coaster trains themselves, for the most part, run steel wheels instead of a version of something like polyurethane or nylon for steel coaster wheels. That's another important thing to point out, too. And and these old PTC trains, they also lack articulation in the cars. Um, and so... Uh, Millennium Flyers on GCI roller coasters like Prowler have tried to counteract that with a car that's uh, more hugging the ride, similar to a steel pipe wood on a steel coaster with those nylon or polyurethane wheels. And then Rocky Mountain Construction with their new wooden roller coasters. Um, really, the technology is it's it's it, it harkens back to the old technology, but it really hugs the track, similar to what you'd see on a steel coaster. And so that's why you you ride an RMC wood coaster like, say, um, Lightning Rod, Outlaw Run, Wildfire at Colmarden. Um, That's more of a smoother experience than your typical wooden roller coaster. And usually if you ask somebody, um, they'll probably say that. They'll be like, oh, this is the smoothest roller coaster I've been on that's wood. It's like, well, yeah, it's kind of a different technology. But back to Timberwolf, you know, I, I like going up the chain lift. The, the cars are still jostling around a little bit. You can kind of feel them lifting up, the upstop wheels engaging on that kind of incline. And Chris, the ride is just fantastic. It might be, and it used to be Prowler for me, being my favorite ride at this park. It might be Timberwolf now. This is the second time I've rode the new version where all of the new woodwork has been redone over. Uh, really the only section lacking at this point 
is the very, very end of the ride, kind of the double up before the brake run. Everything else has either been reworked, or in the case of the old Helix that used to be there, it used to be a 540 degree upward Helix that was very unique on a wooden roller coaster, has now been demolished, replaced with a very nice overbank turn into kind of a little um, airtime bunny hill, courtesy of Great Coasters International. Chris, the transition is so perfect, and it just, I was so worried that it would feel out of place, and I ride it, and I'm like, nope, this belongs here. This is the Timberwolf experience. It doesn't take anything out of the experience, and really, I think it adds to it, because I know you've been on it before, but not the new version, so you did the old 540 Helix. Right. The, t- the top of that Helix even had kind of a kind of a rollback protector um, because of how much speed that the train would lose. And it was kind of, as you got to the top, yeah, going into it was really intense and honestly the roughest part of the ride, but it was intense. Uh, You really lost your speed there. It's almost like a mid-course brake run could have gone in there. Well, Um, I'm glad that it's running well. I imagine from what I've been hearing about Timberwolf, that would probably be at this point, my favorite coaster at the park. If uh, like I wrote it, uh, a few years ago, when they had gotten most of the ride, I'd say just over half of the ride, rebuilt, retracked, mm-hmm. and yep. it was running amazingly. And then we get the second half, and I say, okay, they got some work to do here. It sounds like they've done that work. They've rebuilt that helix into an overbank turn. So with what I'm imagining that ride experience is, uh, when I go back, that's probably going to be my favorite coaster at the park. I think that's very fair to guess. And something else to point out, too, um, after we got off the ride, and and really as we were queuing onto the ride, there's kind of an overlook, and I did some stories on Instagram of the ride, but there's a new building in the old exit path of Timberwolf. So for, for years, Timberwolf, you would enter where you enter now in kind of this Americana section, kind of this like grove that goes back in a little bit into the park, and you would exit on the other side of the station, you'd go underneath the lift hill and come back the way you came, which was really a big midway. There was carnival games. Um, there was an inside arcade. Um, that is all. It's a really a pretty sizable area. The Thunderhawk, which was a hoose topspin um, that used to be there, um, that is gone. They've boarded up that entire section, like completely closed off. The arcade building, one little section of it is now first aid, I think. Um, but the, that is now two haunted attractions only used in haunts. So one is London Terror, which is the old arcade building. It also serves as the queue in there. There's also a skeleton key experience in there, which is like an additional add-on experience, more terrifying, they say. And it's also the queue for their um, standalone attraction, Blood on the Bayou, towards the back of kind of Timberwolf's open area between there and Steelhawk. But there's a new building there, and I don't know what it's for. Again, this is where you used to exit. Now you exit... It's really strange. You just come, kind of come down some stairs, you turn left instead of right, and you can see the back end of their cosmic coaster, which is their wacky worm at Planet Snoopy. And really, it's just kind of an open area of benches, and you're like just back in Americana. It's really strange. Um, I'm assuming it just wasn't doing it for them, the games they had there. There was five freestanding games, I think, and a huge arcade. But I don't know what that building is. I think someone pointed, pointed out even on Twitter, because I was like, am I just imagining this, or has it been a, like a long time since I've been to Worlds of Fun? And it kind of has. I don't remember that building at all. Uh, dear listener, if you have any idea, please let us know. I'm thinking maybe something to do with Haunt, but the style of it did not match London Terror, did not match Blood on the Bayou, so I have no clue what that is. Well, DJ, I don't think that you're alone in noticing this building. 
if I remember correctly, there were other people on the Twitter uh, taking a picture of this building because I can picture it definitely um, with what you're saying too. Uh, and other people have questions saying, what is this for? What is this about? Um, maybe that's something that will reveal itself later. Maybe it's as simple as a little bit of more theming around Timberwolf. We just don't know yet. Really not sure. And it, it, even if it is, Chris, if it is Timberwolf theming, it it doesn't fit. Timberwolf is just, it's in Americana. It's just like, uh, it's a, a creature found of around North America. Like this is like a, like elvish looking, like fairy tale style building. Rounded spire at the top, I think. It was, it was weird. Um, only time will tell on that. But uh, we jump off of Timberwolf, now my favorite ride at the park, to check out the Cotton Blossom Barbecue. This is named after uh, really a, a ship that was located at Worlds of Fun for many years in the, opening air, in the opening years. It was in the kind of lagoon where Ripcord is now. There's a large paddle wheel that did operate um, at one point, and when it was brought to Worlds of Fun, it's more of a show piece. I think they had maybe a show actually on it or eating experience. I can't quite remember from the history there. Um, but the Cotton Blossom Barbecue was, was good. Um, it was definitely, you know, Worlds of Fun had been missing this large capacity eatery. Um, they had things like all sorts of, uh, different, you know, fair style food and carnival style food. And they have a Panda Express in there. They had a Subway at one point. I think the Subway's gone. A Cinnabon at one point. Uh, and then, you know, just little snack stations and, and, and little meals. But this is really a full on meal. So you get an entree with your choice of side. Um, or you can do two entrees with two sides. Uh, also, a variety of drinks. They had smoked brisket. They had pulled pork. I think they had a smoked chicken even. Uh, and chicken strips, which was funny. Um, but chicken strips for maybe someone who doesn't want barbecue. But it's really also Worlds of Fun kind of putting their stamp on Kansas City barbecue. Like we said, we're in one of the, the barbecue capitals of the world, if not one of the most popular ones. Why don't we have barbecue? Uh, and so this was their uh, kind of um, their their foot in the ground, their stake in the ground at this. Um, and it was decent barbecue. Um, you know, it, it wasn't anything super special, um, but it was great to be able to have that in a theme park. I, I think that's great. Mac and cheese was really good. Um, they were still working out some kinks, I think, um, just with the staff there and getting people through the ride, uh, through the through the actual food station there. But you know, the restaurant experience was good. You sit outside. Um, you know, I, I, I would probably do it again. I wouldn't do it at the time we went. I think we just went at a bad time. It's very busy. Um, and again, it was opening day, so working out the kinks. But um, I think they've kind of got a winner with this because there's really nothing to even base it on. They've never had a restaurant like this. The only thing close was the Fest House, um, which is not really a Fest House. It was just a tent. Um, but I think they did it in the summer, but for many years during Haunt when I would go, you could get kind of a scream meal thing. So you would... It would get your parking, your ticket, and your meal. And during the meal, some of the scare actors would come around and give you kind of a preview for the night. And so you had barbecue that you could get. But it wasn't necessarily like a barbecue restaurant. But um, I'd say check out Cotton Blossom if you can. If you miss it, probably not the biggest deal. But, you know, try and check it out. So finally, to close out the day, you know, finally we're closing out the day. And we shot over to Patriot right by Cotton Blossom. Rode in row six towards the back. I think that's the best on this ride towards the back. Front seat on inverted coasters are great, but back is really where it's at on this ride. Drop was very forceful, much more forceful than I remember. Um, really enjoyed this coaster. It's hard to hype me up for it because I see it all the time. I'm like, oh yeah, Patriot, okay. But once I ride it, I have such a great time. Just a nice being an invert in the park. Probably longest line, link days of the park. All the switch, almost all the switchbacks are full, but running two trains, so they got people through there pretty quickly. 
Went to Spinning Dragons, unfortunately went down for maintenance, didn't get to ride that. Rode Fjord Fjarling, which was the only flat ride I got on. It's supposed to be a flat ride journey, um, but not this trip. Lots of things were down, but this was fun. Uh, Cyclone Sam's line just too long for us. But finally, to close the day, we went to the Mamba. It was back on. We got in line, got to the front seat. Next people to go, it went down for another 45 minutes. We're like, we got to get on this. So we stayed in line. We waited it out. Well worth it. Not the most incredibly unique coaster, but it is a hyper coaster, meaning over 200 feet tall. Uh, largest coaster I've been on, really, since late 2019. Just an awesome experience. Front row or front car is best. Any rows one through three. Um, great airtime on this thing, and really a great way to see the Kansas City skyline and experience a great job drop. And you know that's really the end of the World's of Fun journey. But we're going to jump over to the kind of recorded section that we did to really understand how the day was going at the park. And we're going to jump over to that right now. Well, DJ, you went to Worlds of Fun today for the first time in a long time, even though it's a park that you pretty much grew up going to. You had a bit of a period where you didn't go to it because you were out doing other things. You were out and about wherever else. But now you're back. You went to Worlds of Fun. Tell me, how was it? That's right, Chris. Um, I hadn't been to Worlds of Fun for a full visit since 2017. Uh, and before that, I actually say after that, I, I had kind of a sub-visit, maybe you could call it, in 2019. I was there for under an hour, um, so I didn't really get to take in everything at the park. But this was the first time I had been back since 2017, um, seeing the changes that were apparent at the park. Um, for their really their first day opening of the season in 2021, they did open uh, after Cedar Point this year, and that's a first in company history from what I understand at Cedar Fair. Um, it was a great day, uh, very rainy. I think it only stopped raining for the last Oh, 45 minutes to an hour we were there, and it would intermittently stop for a few minutes, but then start again. And it wasn't too terrible. It might have poured for 20 minutes total of the day, but I had my raincoat, uh, so it wasn't too terrible. Put Chacos on to wear all day. Pretty comfortable with that. Temperature mm. was great. Um, but, uh, yeah, it, it was uh, probably one of the wetter days I'd been at Worlds of Fun. Um, but I thought that that would uh, help with crowd mitigation, but it was quite busy at the park. Yeah, I've been hearing about that similarly at a lot of parks that have been opening up opening up around this time in May. Uh, they have reservation systems usually here and there, but they're still very busy. People are still clamoring to get into these parks, and it sounds like Worlds of Fun was the case with that as well. Uh, now, what did you get to ride, DJ? Did you get to all those flat rides that you were hoping for? Well, let me tell you what I rode today, and I'll even go in the order. So I started in the Africa section, and usually I go to Africa because I like to go to Prowler first. Um, I think a lot of people stop in Scandinavia, ride the rides at the front, maybe the Grand Carousel. Some people move a little bit further to the Orient and ride Spinning Dragons, and some I think go a little bit further even and start with Patriot, uh, those parks, those rides being the closest to the front entrance of the park. I usually try to go to the back and work my way forward. So I'll start with Prowler, then jump over to Mamba, and then work my way back in with Timberwolf and Detonator and that sort of thing on the other side of the park in Americana. Uh, today we did Prowler. Uh, it's running decently smooth. Um, you know, I think for uh, a normal guest, they might think that it's a rough ride. It definitely has some GCI vibration to it. Um, we could see some track work in the near future, but you know, I actually think it was running better than when I wrote it in 2017. Um, so that was saying something. Oh, good. Yeah, it definitely is. I was in the back seat, um, very back seat, 
uh, and it was an incredible ride. Uh, great floater air times on literally, I'd say, almost every single hill. Um, a great ride experience there. Then we moved over to uh, sort of the Africa section to ride Mamba. Mamba was down uh, when we arrived there. It was at the very base of the chain lift. And so I thought, okay, well, they're having some technical issues. We'll move along. I'm sure the ride will be running eventually. Mamba is one of those rides that, you know, it's almost like a B&M when I go to the park. It's just always running. So uh, I, I had no fear about that. Uh, went over to Detonator. Uh, kind of some opening day woes there. Uh, we were in line to ride Detonator. Uh, probably waited 20, 25 minutes, and that ride went down. Not sure why. Um, funnily, um, I felt like Detonator sounded different. Um, that that classic SNS air that you hear, and how it does kind of the little uh, weighing section before it shoots up the 200 foot tall tower that it, that it traverses. Yep. It just, it sounded different and the restraints also sounded different. Like it's a ratcheting restraint. Uh, I feel like in the past it was kind of an airlock and it was a silent restraint. So that was, that was interesting, but that ride did go down. So we uh, decided to leave there. Went to the first flat ride that was right there that I had not been on before Mustang runner. Unfortunately that was closed for the day along with Falcon's flight. The other flat ride I was hoping to ride, um, that ride was also closed during that time and throughout oh. the day. Um, don't know why. Um, it seemed like, you know, maybe you could say staffing issues, but it seemed like there were plenty of staff. So, you know, I don't know. I don't know the inner workings of the park. So then we were able to jump over to Timberwolf. Uh, the friend I was with, you know, he kind of has this stigma against Timberwolf. He said, I always have a headache when I ride it. It ruins my day. And I said, no, no, no. I, I got to ride this in 2017. It was, it was way better. Um, and I think I also got to ride it maybe on that visit in 2019 when it was good as well. Uh, when they've done extensive track work to it, a new overbank turn, a couple new hills as well in the mid part of the ride. That ride was running absolutely incredibly. Rode in the very back seat for that as well. Um, just a great ride overall. The work that GCI has done to bring it back to life is 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 very apparent. Uh, it's such a good ride. And then we decided to stop for lunch at the Cotton Blossom Barbecue, the new barbecue restaurant at World's Fun. And it's not brand new, but it's fairly new uh, in the park, at least, named mm -hmm. after the old boat that used to be in that area of the park in the lake at World's Fun. And, uh, you know, lunch was good. We did uh, – I did smoked brisket along with the mac and cheese side uh, and uh, just a Coke to drink. There was, I think, some issues with the all-season dining plan that day, uh, so kind of some issues with the line and communicating how that was going to work. I uh, was able to get through there, though. Um, I just did a normal, just, just pay as I went. I didn't have an all day dining or anything like that. Um, it was very good. I really liked the barbecue sauce. Um, I think they captured a Kansas city style sauce very well. Um, not like a thick molasses sauce per se though. Uh, but it was good meat. Uh, then we were, uh, over at Patriot got to ride in car six of seven. So almost in the very back, uh, again, that one also running great. Um, it's a lot faster than I remember. I'm not sure why. Um, maybe I just haven't wrote, been on it in a while. Um, but man, the drop really took my breath away and I don't ever remember it doing that. Hmm. I think I've been hearing some similar things here and there about various opening days about parks across the country. And I've been trying to put it into words why I think the recipe for the day is maybe similar. Uh, what metaphor am I searching for? I don't know, but... I think it's a mixture of we've we've been some so parks. long without these rides. You know, it's like oh my gosh, yes. I, haven't, I haven't been on a ride since Glenwood Caverns is earlier this week in over a year. You know, it's kind of like oh, I forgot what this oh. was like. 
Yeah, so I think it's a mixture of a lot of us haven't been on these rides for a long time, and we're all very eager to get out into the parks, and then uh, there are some other things that maybe uh, some of these parks haven't really operated full scale in uh, more than a year. And uh, so I think that that is also contributing to some of the things that you encountered in your experience. Uh, I'm not an apologist by any means, but uh, I am trying to figure out what is going on with this industry because uh, it's great that uh, a lot of places are able to open up like they are now uh, with much more policies closer to quote-unquote normal operation. And so it'll be interesting to track the next few months how things adjust as restrictions change and uh, other things change. It's going to be interesting to see what this season is like because it's a a season like no other, just like 2020 was uh, a season like no other as well, because for a lot of parks, there wasn't a season. And hmm, it's, uh, it's going to be interesting to follow, and I'm glad that we have a podcast here as an outlet to talk about it and discuss it. DJ, favorite ride experience, give it to me. Well, I must say, we were able to, after I, I hit Patriot up, I uh, got to ride that. We did wait uh, a while. We were in line for Mamba. We got to the very front car. Uh, the ride went down for about an hour. We decided to stick it out, stay in the front car, uh, oh. and, and got to ride Mamba in the front seat um, after that hour of delay. Um, that was probably my my favorite ride experience of the day. Um, and I usually am not a fan of Mamba, but it's been, A, so long since I've been on a ride. You know, B, that is still a hyper coaster. It's not the most famous by any means, but it's over 200 feet. So really got to enjoy that climb up the lift hill and see the Kansas city skyline downtown. Um, and just the sense mm, of speed. Yeah. I haven't been that fast on a ride either in a very long time. So it all just felt great. The ride was running incredibly smooth. And I will say, even in that hour delay, the actual general manager of world of fun came down into the station and apologized for the delay and was communicating what was going on with the guests. And I've never seen anything like that from any park. Uh, really anywhere. Wow. So kudos to him. I think his name is Tony. It might be Tony. Um, but that was, that was awesome. Uh, that was, that was really great. Um, and, um, also saw some other people I, I had met before and, uh, got to say hi to them and see how they were doing and met some fans of the podcast as well, which was really cool. Uh, uh, a couple of really? ride operators. Yeah. A couple of ride operators. And so, yeah, really Mamba was, was, I think the high point, uh, glad, you know, so glad to be on those rides that I love, but, it's just been so long since I've been on Mamba and even in the front seat. And I know it's not anything terribly special, but yeah, seeing the skyline, it's just, it's, it's one of the, for yeah, a lot of people, a that's good the best ride, ride DJ. Yeah. It's a very good ride. I mean, Prowler and now Timberwolf, I'd say are up there as well, uh, in the top tier of worlds of fun coast. You'd probably throw Patriot in there too, <laughs> but yeah, really all four uh, of them I mean, are it's really a hyper coaster. There's, yeah, those are the four. Those are the four that I mean that you put those coasters together. I think those are the the tip top of what World of Fun has to offer as far as coasters are concerned. It seemed like talking with guests that Boomerang had been um, and employees as well. Boomerang had been down um, all year last year. I'm not typically a Boomerang fan anyway of any Boomerang, so that was okay. That didn't get to do that, and we were queuing for um, Spinning Dragons. That went down when we were queuing, so fortunately not able to ride that. But <sighs> did get to do Fjord Bjarling, so. That was one flat that I had never done before that I did get to check off my list. Cyclone Sam's, the line was just too long. I just thought, ah, I don't think it's 
it's worth it when we can do some other things I want to check off. So hopefully we'll be able to do that in the future. I think if other rides had been open, you know, Cyclone Sam's wouldn't have had such a long line, but what can you do? That is how it is. I think, I, I do think though, all that said, Mamba's got to be the favorite ride of the day. Yeah. And maybe later in the summer, as things get ironed out operations wise, you'll be able to really get out there and try some of those new experiences for you. Uh, I have to ask, and this might be a personal question, so forgive me if it's too personal, but did you get a day ticket or a season pass? So we went with the day ticket, um, bought it online, so saved some money. I want to say, Chris, don't, uh, and I really should say this to you, dear listener, um, don't get upset with me if this is wrong, but I think I only paid $35 for my ticket. I mean, that was extremely reasonable. I thought, yeah, some of the rides were down all day, but and it was raining, they can't help the rain, but $35 for, for what I experienced, I thought that was worth it. I mean, I got to ride all the major coasters, got a new flat ride, taking all the scenery. They have done such a good job with the new topiary elements at World of Fun. They brought back the, the famous topiary clock that was at the park for so long. They've moved it to a different location, but that was incredible. I could see tiny little theming elements that they added throughout. You know, don't want to go too in-depth on that, um, but just, you know, little things here and there that as someone who went to the park for so long, maybe they've had it in the years past. Now I'm just noticing it, but I saw quite a bit of changes and really, really liked the, the layout of the park and, and, and really what they're doing at the park. It, it was, it was all worth it. You know, if, if, if the ticket had been 50 or $60 might've been a different story, but you know, $35, it's like, mm-hmm. wow. Yeah. It sounds like they're adding more character to the park and that's only a good thing. So I'm really happy to hear that. Absolutely. It sounds like you did have a good visit, a return, a homecoming for Worlds of Fun. Uh, it sounds like it was a ton of fun for you. A, a world of fun. Really. <laughs> no, not a world, a worlds of fun. And I think that's why they call it that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, def- it definitely was. I mean, I, I got to give a shout out to the, to the team. I know that, you know, first days are hard, especially after a season like no other to now start, like you said, another season like no other. Um, but I think everybody was doing the best they could. There's, a, you know, you could tell there were people that had not worked at the park before, which is to be expected. Um, and so I think the area managers, supervisors and leads were doing such a great job of uh, making sure everyone was oh, on the good. same page and, and making it a learning experience for them. Um, you know, I do wonder uh, if I can be slightly critical, if, if Worlds of Fun had had maybe a season pass preview day, maybe the Friday before opening or something like that, if operations might have gone a bit smoother. Um, but that's hard to say. Okay. It does sound like it was a decent visit. You got to hit the major coasters. You got some barbecue. You got to look at some cool stuff here and there. Do you have any final thoughts for us before we sign off and head off to our regular programming? And I think the final thoughts from today, uh, have, having visited literally an hour ago and finishing up the day at, at the park, um, final thoughts, I think just I'm excited to see what happens to the park as uh, the year goes on, as things get better, as restrictions are lifted, um, as we follow science to understand what's the next best step in opening these parks. Um, I'm just excited to see how things go. I'm excited to see as well what happens in the next couple of years at the park. If you haven't already, dear listener, be sure to listen to our world of fun plan a park. Um, because <laughs> I stared at the boomerang for probably five to 10 minutes. <laughs> just thinking, Oh, that skyrocket. Okay. So good. I, I think I've spaced it out and I think it would fit. I think, I think it would fit Chris. So you put your hands up like you were a film director and you were saying, hmm, yeah. <laughs> yeah well, exactly. What if you framed it like this? Zambezi zinger. <laughs> yes. Oh, right. 
Yeah, the zinger is back, folks. That was our tagline for. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so that that sounds great, DJ. Thanks for plugging our our Planet Park. But we do have another uh, selection of pretty good episodes recently. I think we have been on a bit of a hot streak. Um, I'm not sure if this will make it into this episode or it'll be the episode before, but we also talked about Glenwood Caverns while you were at the park. And that was another unique call that we got to set up where you were actually on the top of the mountain for America's only mountaintop theme park, Glenwood Caverns Adventure Park. And you uh, talked to us about your day there and the unreplicable experiences that are there as well. So if that's not on this episode, it's going to be on the one before. So go ahead and listen to that one as well. And uh, we had another episode about uh, a potpourri of things, but mostly squishmallows. I almost said squishmallow because <laughs> be, that's how it's spelled. Yeah. But <laughs> Be sure to check out. I'm sure we'll archive our World of Fun story from today. Uh, I found plenty of squishmallows at World of Fun. <laughs> oh, did they have any custom ones? You know, I couldn't tell. Um, I, there might have been a Timberwolf one, actually. That might have been the one I featured in the story. I I was so tr- trying to get to Mamba quickly. Um, I didn't have time, but I saw them. And I was like, oh, my gosh, I got to. I got to feature that. Okay. Well, it sounds great. I am going to check out that Instagram story because I didn't know that you did that yet. So uh, that'll be really (laughs) cool for me to get a, a visual look at your visit. But until next time, my name is Chris. And my name is DJ. And this has been another Corkscrew Convo. Thanks for listening. Yeah, DJ, similarly to our Glenwood Caverns call, uh, we really got to talk to you about your journey while you were there. I mean, you had just left, so the memories were all still very fresh in your head. And of course, from what you've been able to experience and explain with us today, um, they're still very fresh in your head. I do appreciate the detail that you've gone into uh, to really bring us into your day at Worlds of Fun and your previous days in Kansas City as well. Uh, So that really sounded like a great time. Uh, Do you have any closing thoughts about this baby moon? I mean, uh, we we should explain it for this episode. What is a baby moon? And uh, any closing thoughts you have about Kansas City as well? Just quickly, you know, baby moon is kind of a newer idea, but really what it is is it's your last opportunity to go on a vacation with just you and your partner before your first child gets here because uh, once they're here, life is never the same in the best of ways. Uh, So it's really just a time to enjoy each other in the last uh, moments that you really have, last few days, few months uh, with just the two of you. Um, But all in all, I would say the trip was fantastic. you got to check out Glenwood Caverns. We've talked about that. But as far as Kansas City is concerned, you have to go to Worlds of Fun. It's just something you got to do. Um, you may say it's a park I have visited and don't need to go back to, or you may say, I love this park, um, but really experience it. I always tell people, if you can, try to go during Haunt. Extremely busy, um, but very, very awesome experience to get all of the coasters in the day, Haunt at night. Uh, and just know that there's so much to do in Kansas City. I just forgot how much there is. Um, we've got a World Series, recently World Series winning baseball team, even more recently winning uh, football team in the Super Bowl, uh, recently winning soccer team as well for the national title. So, um, you know, it's a great city. There's a speedway as well if you're in NASCAR. Um, so a, a city that I will always hype up uh, probably for the rest of my life. Uh, love Kansas City. Cannot give it you know, really much more praise. Check it out. It's, it's different than other cities. 
Um, check it off your bucket list. Check it off of your visiting places. And I think that's all I've got to say about that. Yeah, Kansas City is a really nice city. It's a really nice location in the Midwest where there is a lot of big city amenities and, and fun to be had there with the zoo, the park, the museums. Uh, it really sounds like a great time. I've had the pleasure of visiting there a couple of times um, in different capacities here and there. I've been to Worlds of Fun a couple of times. I've uh, briefly spent some time with the Starlight Theater as well. Um, and it's really a fun place to be. So I'm really glad that you were able to uh, put that trip together at such an important time in your life. And, well, DJ... The name of this episode, and this is pretty rare because we don't always have the name of the episode before we record, but in this case we do. The name of this episode is Casey at the Bat. And DJ, do you know what I'm referencing when I say Casey at the Bat? Originally I didn't, and then you kind of told me, and then as I, we were recording this, I do know this actually. It's, it's such a deep memory in my mind from yeah. elementary school. <laughs> Yeah, it's a, it's a poem uh, by Ernest Lawrence Thayer, uh, who lived from 1863 to 1940. Uh, this is a very notable poem. I was first introduced to this poem in English class in middle school, but a lot of people experience this poem as one of the package films in Walt Disney's animated feature, Make Mine Music, which was a musical anthology film in 1946. Uh, they took this poem and they uh, animated it. They turned it into an animated sequence. And so um, whenever I think about Kansas City and KC and the Royals, I think, hey, KC at the bat, KC. Uh, I mean, the poem, it's spelled C-A-S-E-Y. But, I mean, Kansas City is often abbreviated KC, <laughs> those letters. So I like to have a little bit of fun with that here. And as we close up, DJ... I thought that I would share this poem with our listeners here and with you. Is that all right with you? That's completely all right with me. I'm looking forward to hearing it. And really such a history with baseball in Kansas City. You even have the Kansas City Monarchs that oh, yeah. existed for a very long time. And now the, the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum is located in Kansas City, another great museum to check out when you're in the KC area. So let's hear it, Chris. Let's hear Casey at the bat on this podcast. All right, here we go. <clears throat> The outlook wasn't brilliant for the Mudville Nine that day. The score stood four to two, with but one inning more to play. And then, when Cooney died at first and Barrows did the same, a pall-like silence fell upon the patrons of the game. A straggling few got up to go in deep despair. The rest clung to the hope which springs eternal in the human breast. They thought, if only Casey could but get a whack at that, we'd put up even money now with Casey at the bat. But Flynn preceded Casey, as did also Jimmy Blake, and the former was a hoodoo while the latter was a cake. So upon that stricken multitude grim melancholy sat, for there seemed but little chance of Casey getting to the bat. But Flynn let drive a single to the wonderment of all, and Blake, the much despised, tore the cover off the ball. And when the dust is lifted, and the men saw what had occurred, there was Jimmy safe at second, and Flynn a hugging third. Then from five thousand throats and more there rose a lusty yell, 
It rumbled through the valley. It rattled in the dell. It pounded on the mountain and recoiled upon the flat. For Casey, mighty Casey, was advancing to the bat. There was ease in Casey's manner as he stepped into his place. There was pride in Casey's bearing and a smile lit Casey's face. And when, responding to the cheers, he lightly doffed his hat, no stranger in the crowd could doubt "'Twas Casey at the bat. Ten thousand eyes were on him as he rubbed his hands with dirt. Five thousand tongues applauded when he wiped them on his shirt. Then while the writhing pitcher ground the ball into his hip, defiance flashed in Casey's eye, a sneer curled Casey's lip. And now the leathered-covered sphere came hurtling through the air, and Casey stood a-watching it in haughty grandeur there. Close by the sturdy batsman, the ball unheeded sped. That ain't my style, said Casey. Strike one, the umpire said. From the benches, black with people, there went a muffled roar, like the beating of the storm waves on a stern and distant shore. Kill him! Kill the umpire! shouted someone on the stand and it's likely they'd have killed him had not Casey raised his hand. With a smile of Christian charity, great Casey's visage shone. He stilled the rising tumult. He bade the game go on. He signaled to the pitcher, and once more the dun sphere flew. But Casey still ignored it, and the umpire said, strike two. Fraud! cried the maddened thousands, and Echo answered, Fraud! But one scornful look from Casey, and the audience was awed. They saw his face grow stern and cold, they saw his muscles strain, and they knew that Casey wouldn't let that ball go by again. The sneer is gone from Casey's lip, his teeth are clenched in hate. He pounds with cruel violence his bat upon the plate. And now the pitcher holds the ball, and now he lets it go. And now the air is shattered by the force of Casey's blow. Oh, somewhere in this favored land, the sun is shining bright. The band is playing somewhere, and somewhere hearts are light. And somewhere men are laughing, and somewhere children shout. But there is no joy in Mudville. Mighty Casey has struck out. That's the poem. <laughs> oh, it's a classic. That's one of my favorite poems. So I'm, I'm really glad that you let me share that with you. Um, this has not been the easiest episode to get through. <laughs> Again, I'm not entirely at 100%, but I do appreciate you humoring me, uh, letting me share my poems with the class. <laughs> it was very good, and I do remember hearing this because I remember as a kid being so upset that he was out. I was like, yeah. oh, dang. Oh, yeah. My That's only rebuttal a... to you, Chris, is yeah. who's on first? And oh, with that, it's time to hit the brakes, but we're not done yet. <laughs> Ha <laughs> ha.
Yeah, as we close up, I mean, we've given you a lot this episode. We've given you trip reports. We've given you a live call-in from the Worlds of Fun Day. We've even given you a poem in the public domain. Uh, so there's a lot of ways that uh, we have created quite a show for you this episode. And I think mm-hmm. that's quite, it's fair to say uh, this has been quite an episode, even though we're not quite done yet. Uh, but as we close up, we do want to interact with you, dear listener. Uh, we hope that you've enjoyed yourself this episode. If you have, go ahead and follow the show wherever you're listening to it. We also have uh, social media on Facebook, TikTok, Twitter, Instagram. We're Corkscrew Convos. That's the name of the show, and that is how you can find us on these platforms as well. We also have an email address, which is corkscrewconvos at gmail.com. So if you have a question, we often solicit so, uh, we often solicit listener questions, just uh, something that you're wondering about, something that you want us to talk about. It's a way for you to start a corkscrew conversation with us. And so uh, if you do feel so inclined, please send us an email, hit us up on Facebook, TikTok, Twitter, or Instagram, and uh, we would be happy to start that corkscrew conversation with you. Absolutely. And be sure to follow the show. Whatever platform you're on, it's a great way to really keep us top of mind. When the new episode comes out, you can get that nice notification to your device, or it just keeps us really in your queue of favorite shows to where you can go back and easily see which shows you've missed, watch it in order, and be sure while you're on there, if you happen to be at least on Apple Podcasts, uh, consider leaving us a five-star review. That's really the easiest way and the best way to help us out. Um, we'll read that review out loud. We'll give you a shout-out on the show. Um, we would really love to do that. Um, so please, if you can, check that out. Consider doing that for us. We'd really appreciate it. It helps us create this great content for you and really uh, helps us to do this regularly. And we appreciate you, dear listener, to for listening to us, whether it's your first time, your second time, your, what, 34th time, or really uh, just any time regular listener on and off we do appreciate it uh, if you've gotten this far really appreciate you thank you you deserve a golden star we are impressed with your thoroughness but until next time my name is dj and my name is chris and this has been another corkscrew convo thanks for listening thanks for listening